Father, come and speak to us today by your Spirit to illuminate to us the importance of our allegiance to you, your hatred of idolatry, of the seriousness of this. Let a reverence fall upon us now so that we may hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie Remember the Titans from a while ago, a, a football movie, there are these two main characters. Basically, it's this movie about a um, football team set in USA in the time of segregation where blacks and whites were separate, but then this school brings blacks and whites together and there's all of this uh, commotion around how they're going to be a football team with blacks and whites together and there are these two main uh, captains, the, the white captain and the black captain, but they've been brought together, Jerry and Julius, and they uh, start to form this bond over time. It starts out a bit rough, but then they start to form this bond. And Jerry, who is the main uh, white guy, it's based on a true story, he um, has this um, change within him. He's being transformed and he's no longer staying separate from the black community, but is starting to appreciate the humanity in all people. And there is this time in the movie and in his life where he could sort of please both parties. He still pleased his old white friends that were staying distant from the black people. He still sort of hung out with them, but then he would still have his time in the football team and particularly with Julius, this other black footballer. And there was a time where he was able to please both. But then there was this sort of point where he had to show where his allegiance lied. Like this point where he has to choose whether he's going to hang out with the white people, his old friends, or whether he's going to commit to the football team where sort of this uh, racial equality has happened. And there's that period of time just before where he could easily uh, deceive people into thinking that he uh, has his allegiance in both ends. But it's only when... His allegiance is actually tested that it's clear who his allegiance lies with. And so Jerry chooses Julius and the football and it's a great movie in the end, very heartwarming. And the point for us is that our allegiance to Christ, to God, often only becomes real when it is tested by something else that wants to pull at us. And this passage today in Deuteronomy 13 is all about the allegiance of God's people and whether it lies specifically with Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth, or whether their allegiance is going to be pulled over to other areas. So where does our allegiance lie? And the start of this passage is, as Sarah read out, really verse 32. So in the Hebrew Bible, actually, verse 32 of chapter 12 is chapter 13, verse 1. So that's kind of the context of this, where God says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Which is basically God saying, your allegiance is to be with me. You shall not add to my word or take from it in any way. Your allegiance is to be totally with me and so therefore everything that I command you, you should be careful to hold fast to. And as God explains this, he brings up how the people are to respond 
when their allegiance is threatened by false prophets and seductive teaching. Now, I don't know about you. I can make an educated guess that you're probably like me. I haven't actually come across any false prophets physically claiming to be a prophet and trying to lure me into some false worship, at least explicitly. You have those people at the shops trying to sell you things, but I haven't come across anyone who's actually been saying, I'm a prophet, I've found this new God, come and worship him, he's great. And so we can easily distance ourselves from this passage, but of course, our culture doesn't mean that we are not exposed to all sorts of false ideas to all sorts of seductive ideologies and teachings that have the potential to lead us astray. So in our context now, we have access through media, technology, whatever avenue to thousands and thousands of voices all the time. Voices that are trying to grab our attention, that are trying to grab our devotion. Voices that have the potential to lead us astray with globalization and technology. It's a recipe for all sorts of false and seductive teachings to enter into our minds and our hearts. So although we don't really have any sort of capital P prophets running around trying to lure us into some sort of cult or uh, granted that probably does still happen. It just is not as common. We don't really have that many uh, prophets going around. We certainly have plenty of alluring and seductive teachings. Plenty of alluring teachings that enter into our minds and our hearts and they captivate us. They're there to take our devotion. So as we approach this passage today, we should see this through the lens of any voice that you are allowing into your mind or your heart, whether it be through TV, a streaming device, radio, social media, whatever it is, you're exposed to all of these voices that have the potential to lead you astray and take your God-reserved devotion and give it to something else. There are two main themes in this passage here. The way uh, the sort of passage works is there's two main themes, two main overarching themes. The first theme is when the people's allegiance is tested. And then the second theme is what to do with the tester or the people that succumb to the testing. So the first idea is what to do when our allegiance is tested and then afterwards, well, what do you do with then those who took the people's allegiance, the testers? So if we think about this first theme of when our allegiance is tested and the way this passage works is there's three sort of case studies that God gives. There's what to do when a false prophet comes along, what to do when a family member tries to lure you astray, and then what to do when a whole town or city becomes seduced and given over to idol worship. And if we look mostly just in this first theme of when our allegiance is tested, if we look at the first case study here of a false prophet, this is where God describes a, a prophet or a dreamer. These are just people who claim to be speaking on behalf of God. And they come and they perform a sign or a wonder. And God says here, when they perform a sign or a wonder, this actually becomes a test of their allegiance. Because the prophet or dreamer might say, hey, now that you've seen something special from me, let us go worship other gods. 
Let us go serve them. Let's go. I've found a God way better than your God. Let's go serve him. And there are five things that we should notice about this situation here. So five things we should notice about when our allegiance is tested. And the first thing is that false prophets perform legitimate signs. So notice that it's not saying here, when this dude comes into your town and says that something miraculous is going to happen or they try and uh, do a great sign and it doesn't happen, then of course you know they're a false prophet. It doesn't say that. It says when they perform a sign and, or wonder, when they perform something legitimate, then afterwards they may lead you astray. So it's not actually that they can or can't perform a sign that determines whether they're a false prophet. Simply because the false prophet or false teacher performs a legitimate sign doesn't mean that they are legitimate. That's not the requirement here that God gives. Remember Pharaoh's magicians in uh, the Exodus account, how Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh and uh, a number of the signs that Moses and Aaron do, like turning their, uh, um, the word has, uh, pass me the staff into snakes or changing the Nile River into blood. And the magicians do those exact same things. They do the same things as God's servants is, uh, are doing. So the fact that they perform legitimate signs does not mean that they are legitimate. The second distinguishing, uh, the second thing we should notice here is that the distinguishing mark of a false prophet is their direction. So it's not whether they perform a sign or a wonder, it's actually their direction. That is who or what they are directing the people to, where their life leads to. So rather than whether or not they can perform signs or wonders, the distinguishing mark here that God gives for a false prophet or false teaching is their direction. Are they directed toward God and his commands? Is their life directed toward God and, and, and His commands? Are they leading people toward worship of Yahweh? And this is how God instructs His people to identify the false prophets, whether they actually lead them toward Yahweh or not. So if there's someone who actually performs legitimate signs, which still happens to this day, mostly not in Australia, but still happens to this day in areas. If there is someone who performs a legitimate sign, yet they seem to lead people away from obedience to God's word, or they seem to perpetuate this idea that grace is actually just a free pass to never have to grow in holiness, then they are leading people away from God and his commands. And that's the distinguishing mark of a false prophet. The third thing we should notice is that there is an alluring nature to false prophets. When you read how false prophets are described all throughout the Bible, there is a seductive nature. It's not like this picture of some harsh false prophet who's, you know, kind of commanding people's allegiance. It's actually always a very deceptive, alluring, seductive nature to the false prophet. If you remember in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 7, there's this famous uh, passage where you have these two voices contrast. There's the voice of wisdom where it says wisdom cries out 
and, and wants to draw people in and wisdom is only found in God. And so it's this voice saying, hey, come and find wisdom. It is found in me, in God. And then in contrast to that, there's this adulteress. There's this seductive adulteress. And we read about this adulteress and it says, in the street, in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. It's very seductive. This is adulteress trying to prey on some man to bring him into her home. And she says, come, let us take our fill of love. Till morning, let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. So she's trying to seduce him. And this is a picture of false teaching. False prophets just seducing us. Remember the false prophets in, to Israel in the book of Jeremiah and the repetitive, uh, the repetitive phrase is that these prophets say peace, peace when there is no peace. They're the ones who go around saying, hey, don't worry, man, it's all good. God isn't an angry God. Everything's going to go well for you. Don't worry about it. Peace, man. Shalom. It's all good. There are these sort of, there's this seductive nature to that. Like that's very appealing to think, ah, oh, that's great. So I can do whatever I want and God's okay with it. That's, that's awesome. There's this alluring and seductive nature. Even Jesus makes this clear when he says in the Gospels, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is what they did to the false prophets. The false prophets didn't have to take much flack because they just tickled people's ears and said what, what they knew the people wanted to hear. So everyone loved them. There was an alluring, seductive Nature And likewise here in this passage, we see an alluring and seductive nature to these false prophets. It's cool to see a sign or a wonder. Imagine the heavens opening now or someone being able to control when it rains or not. Like that's very enticing. And if you actually look at the second case study here of when a family member from verse 6, when a family member or someone you know actually tries to lead you astray, the word is that they entice you. In verse 6, when your family member entices you to try and worship other gods, there's an alluring nature to this. And this leads us to our fourth thing we should notice about this, which is how to discern. See, if it's so alluring, if, if false prophets can do legitimate signs and wonders, they can appear like legitimate prophets, and it's alluring and seductive, it, it captures our heart, then how are we supposed to discern? How are we supposed to know? And that's the fourth point here. Discernment comes from devotion. The discernment required to recognize alluring and seductive teachings, the discernment required to recognize this comes from devotion. It comes from a life of devotion. Like this is something uh, we, we talk about a lot and, and sometimes I do feel like I am a clanging bell with this, but it's so important. We must be devoted to the word, devoted to spiritual rhythms, to spiritual devotions, because otherwise we're going to be given over to seductive teachings. We'll let anything in. See, notice how this first section here is bookended, where God gives the example of if a prophet or a dreamer comes, and what comes immediately before it in verse 32 of chapter 12? Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. That's devotion. 
being careful to do everything that the Lord has commanded us, that's devotion. That's being devoted to Him. And then look at the verse 4 after it. It says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. This is devotion. That's the kind of devotion that like toddlers have when they are clinging to their parent's leg. And it doesn't matter how hard you're kicking your leg. The, the child just holds to it. You're holding fast to what you need as your source of devotion, like your protection. And we need to hold fast to the word of God. We need to be totally devoted to it. Our spiritual radar must be regularly calibrated. It has to be regularly calibrated by patterns of devotion in order to detect when false teaching and false prophets have come in. If you're not in regular patterns of devotion, your spiritual radar is shot. You'll let anything come in. You won't be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. False teaching rarely starts by something totally explicitly saying, hey, forget about this, Jesus. Let's go follow some other guy. It's always very subtle. Like being in the ocean and a gentle rip slowly takes you away. And if you have your eyes off of the flags at the beach, it's amazing how far away, you can be hundreds and hundreds of meters away if you just take your eyes off of the flags. We need patterns of devotion to actually prevent us from being led astray. We need patterns of devotion in order to keep us discerned. The fifth and final thing we should notice that is awfully comforting for us is that God sovereignly uses false prophets to test us. See in this passage how God actually allows these prophets. It's not like God kind of dropped the ball on it and says, whoops, sorry guys, I let another false prophet in. Make sure you keep your eyes fixed upon me. He actually says here, the second half of verse 3, the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So he says the Lord your God is doing this to test you. A false prophet has come in in order to test your allegiance, to see whether your allegiance lies with me. God allows these things to come in to see what is in our hearts. So we might say that we worship Christ. We might say that we worship God until an alluring job opportunity comes in, falls into our laps, that is going to prevent us from actually regularly gathering with God's people. And we say we're totally devoted to Christ, but we allow something very alluring to get in the way of something that is fundamental to following Jesus, which is being part of a community of God's people. We might say our allegiance is to Christ, but seductive teachings of this society kind of creep in that cause us to be a little bit soft on issues of maybe gender and sexuality that lead us on a path to denying biblical truths. Whatever it is, there, there will be a plethora of seductive and alluring ideas and opportunities that come our way and they become a test for our allegiance 
to Christ. I mean, this is life or death. It's not something to be sort of cast off as unimportant. God sovereignly uses these alluring and seductive teachings for the good of his children as an opportunity to cement our allegiance to God. And God actually refines his children this way. So this is what we should know about when our allegiance is tested. We have to understand that false prophets and seductive ideas, they are not determined by signs and wonders. So just the very fact that someone does a sign or a wonder, like if I was able to lift these tables up without touching them, doesn't make me working for the Lord or working for Satan at all. It doesn't really tell you anything because anyone uh, might be able to do that. That's what this passage is saying. Instead, we have to detect them by their direction. We have to know where they are directing. And in order to know where this person is directing us or where this voice is directing us, we must be in patterns of devotion. We have to be devoted to the word. We have to be in patterns of devotion with the community of God's people. And God will allow these things to come in order to refine us by testing our allegiance. Now, I'm going to actually skip the second section. I had a, a bit on uh, looking at what this theme of um, what to do with the tester or what to do with the tempter and how that displays God's character. But I think maybe tonight when we gather again, um, we can maybe chat about that. So I just want to skip now to just a few ways in which we can apply this to our lives. So a few simple applications of how we can apply this to our lives. In the first application, we should examine what voices we are letting in. We should examine what voices we are actually letting in to our mind, to our homes, in our cars, in our ears. Remember that the people uh, leading others astray were in subtle and alluring ways. They were subtle and alluring voices. Even the second case study talks about family members, family members leading people astray. They are the people you wouldn't expect. And we allow all sorts of voices to shape us, all sorts of ideas to shape us. So simple question for us. What voices are you allowing into your mind to shape you? Who do you listen to? Both in terms of celebrities on a podcast, who do you read? Who do you hang out with? And a very, very easy way to determine whether that is a healthy voice or an unhealthy voice is to simply ask yourself, when you're examining that, after you listen to that person, after you hang out with them after you um, watch that show. Do you feel like pursuing Christ? Do you, are you actually motivated to pursue Christ? Or do you feel spiritually flabby? You know, sometimes you can watch shows and it certainly doesn't motivate you to go and read the word or go and share the gospel or go and seek the Lord. It leaves you just spiritually flabby. 
And it's a killer. It's a killer, those things. So examine what voices you are letting in and ask yourself, does that voice actually cause devotion to the Lord? Does it make me want to pursue Christ more and more? Or does it just leave me spiritually flabby? Does it leave me in a place where my spiritual radar is shot and I'm very vulnerable to all sorts of alluring and seductive ideas coming in? The second and final way we can apply this is that we can see temptations as an opportunity to cement our allegiance. We need to reframe our way of thinking. When temptations or trials come, rather than fearing them, they're an opportunity to cement our allegiance to Christ. God uses these false prophets to test the hearts of the people and he continues to do that today. And they present us with this wonderful opportunity to cement our allegiance. So in the workplace, if you're in a workplace that is not totally welcoming to the idea of Jesus being Lord, we don't want to be obnoxious about it, but there are opportunities there to stand firm upon the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints and actually as an opportunity to cement your allegiance to Christ, to cement your allegiance. And in that way, you grow as a disciple. You actually grow in strength. There are opportunities in our neighborhoods to share faithfully. And it's amazing how if we only pray There will be opportunities. Just uh, this week, I was on a walk at 5 a.m. As I do most mornings, I try and go out and walk and struggle my way around waking up as I'm praying. And there were these two uh, young guys um, that that looked like they certainly weren't waking up at 5 a.m. They had probably been out um, all night. And I, uh, I intentionally slowed down to try and meet them and... I just said hello to them and I wanted to kind of strike up a conversation and they, uh, they clearly, they said hello, but they really didn't seem all that interested in talking. So I let them go and then afterwards I was praying and I was just, uh, just confessing my fear. I mean, in that moment, I felt a fear come over me that prevented me from sharing. And so I was just praying and I said, Lord, uh, forgive me and, and grant me another opportunity. I pray that I would have another opportunity. And a minute later, they must have been going to a house and turning back. So they crossed my path again and I had the opportunity to say, hey, can I share something with you for 30 seconds? And was able to share and ask them whether they believed in God. And one of them said, I don't believe in God, I believe in Satan. And that was at least an opportunity to then start talking about that and say, well, if you believe in Satan, you've got to believe in God and you know, strike up a, a conversation about the gospel. And that was an opportunity to really cement uh, my allegiance to Christ, to sort of cement this, uh, this way of life that we are called to do, which is to bear witness, which is to testify of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it's like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger we get, the more we grow. These temptations, these trials are opportunities to cement our allegiance to Christ. And just finally, as I finish, uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, shortly. We might do that actually in response and then we will finish with singing. And uh, we didn't get to go over it 
today, but in uh, God's response and his requirements for the people uh, toward the tempters, toward the false prophets, and even towards family members, you would have noticed in the Bible reading, it's very serious. God specifically says, if your family member, actually says the wife you cherish, your son or your daughter, if they lead you astray, you must be the first to put them to death. You must actually be the first to lay hands on them. It's very serious. And I didn't, I had a whole kind of section I wanted to talk about, about qualifications, how we apply that. I'm just going to have to leave you in, in limbo there and we can talk about it afterwards. But this, the, the point is there is a serious, uh, a serious nature to this. God hates false, seductive teaching. And the reason he hates it is because what do we see in the first account of false teaching in the Bible? This seductive nature from the serpent in the garden saying to Eve, oh, did God really say that? It was very manipulative. He didn't say, hey, come worship me. I've got something better for you. He just seductively reframed Eve's way of thinking. And that was the pattern, this sort of seductive, alluring nature, which questions God's integrity and prevents us from taking him at his word. And likewise, with any false teaching, there is this seductive, alluring nature, which ends up causing us to question the character of God and to not take him at his word. And so God is serious about false teaching and hates it because the fall of mankind was a result of this kind of seductive teaching that God was totally sovereign over and new, yet we see the seductiveness of the serpent of Satan himself as the primary mover in that. And so God hates it. But the beautiful thing as we come to the Lord's table and remember this is that even after that first act of false teaching, that first act of seduction, death followed, which is why after the pattern of false teaching in the community of Israel, death follows because that was the result of the first false teaching and seduction seductiveness but what do we see after this even in genesis 3 after death uh, is about to enter into the world god promises deliverance he promises to provide a way out he promises to provide redemption so as we take the lord's supper today we see we are reminded that although God hates false teaching and although we should be very on guard against it, very wary of it, the reason why we can pledge our allegiance and therefore be devoted to the Lord, which then becomes our discernment against false teaching, is because of the body and blood of Christ. It's because He died for us. He died in our place that we would then be brought into this place where we know the majesty of God, where we know the grace of God, where we know the voice of Jesus, whom says, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. When a stranger comes, they won't listen to him. They won't do it. And we are his sheep if we hold fast to this word. And we remind ourselves of this by taking the Lord's Supper today.